good morning, church family. It is good to see you once again. I also want to greet those who are with us online this morning. I, I know that uh, right now there's probably more of us that are that are virtually uh, joining us than here present. But again, I want to say that to each of us, we are all participants today as we worship the Lord, as we open up God's word together. We do so as a church family, uh, living in, in days in which we need the Lord's guidance. And so that's been my desire uh, to, is to open up the word, look to passages of scripture that I think can help us uh, seek to, to find understanding, uh, perspective, uh, but even guidance as we respond to the day in which we live. Uh, we certainly have many things to be grateful for as, uh, as Americans, as people who enjoy the, the freedom such as what we are enjoying right now, the freedom to assemble and gather and worship the Lord Jesus Christ, we know that that is not always the case as we look across the world, that, that, uh, that there are some uh, places where people do not have this freedom, so we're grateful for that. And yet at the same time, we can also recognize that within our nation, there are sins that need to be repented of, that there are concerns of, of what we see uh, taking place around us. And so I think we can be at the same time both grateful and thankful for God's blessing upon our nation, uh, while at the same time recognizing that there are ways in which we have not lived up uh, to his call or to his word. And so for us as Christians, that's the, that's the opportunity for us to shine, uh, to, to, to speak forth and to live God's word, to bring the gospel message. Because really, as we look at brokenness in the world, the answer is the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we don't want to lose sight that, that he is the one who restores broken lives. He's the one that, that brings healing and hope. And so I'm reminded this week of 2 Corinthians 5, uh, beginning in uh, uh, verse 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see, the new has come. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. This is the heart of our Father God, to reconcile people to himself, to forgive sin, to make things new, to restore, to rebuild. And yet that flows out of his character, out of his nature and into his people because that's what we just saw, saw here at the end of verse 18. We have the ministry of reconciliation. That is Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses, their sins against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Folks, there's a lot of messages that we could give in this hour. But if we are not giving the message of reconciliation to the Father through Jesus Christ, we are not bringing the gospel message to bear. And that's what our nation has always needed. And that's what we need. And we need to be reminded of our role in being people of reconciliation. We talked last week about the Imago Dei people being created in the image of God. Well, you can look at this passage here and see the missio dei, the mission of God. We have a message of reconciliation to share. It's a message of hope, and it's a message of truth. 
that we as, as followers of Christ need to hold on to right now because I know there's a lot of messages that are taking place and so we need to look and seek to God's word yet again. We said last week we wanted to ask the question, does God's word speak about things that we are seeing today? And if it does speak, how do we learn from it? How do we view through the lens of scripture the world around us? And what I had hoped would be just a, a one message uh, addressing that has, has now turned into two, which I, I really believe is going to turn into three. I'm, I'm intending to finish this. It ended up being a series, and I didn't really want it to be, all right? Um, I'll, just, I'll just be real honest with you. Talking about matters as sensitive as this one and as, as, uh, uh, as problematic as these, uh, these times are, it's, it's not easy to navigate. And so trying to bear the truth of God's word in a way that, that, uh, that, is, that is appropriate, both with, with truth and with, with grace and with, with empathy, uh, that's, that's my goal. And I want us as a church family uh, and with humility to look at the world around us and to look at it through Scripture. I'm, I'm uh, concerned that, 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 uh, that, that if we're not careful, we can adopt principles of alternative viewpoints, and I mean worldviews, that are, that are contrary to Scripture. I touched on that uh, some last week, and I'm going to touch on it uh, some as well today. And so we, we begin by asking again, what is our worldview when it comes to what we see taking place? We said last week, a worldview is your internal interpretive framework by which you make sense of your life and the world. And there are a lot of competing philosophies, values, frameworks out there. And so for us, we need to get back and see, ask, what does the Bible say? Where can we turn to in God's word to help bring clarity, understanding, but also base our response to what we see taking place in the world? Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 says, Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. And so as followers of Christ who, who hold to his word and who have been saved by his gospel, we don't want to forfeit the truth of God's word for anything else, for anything. And so that has been my aim is to come and just bring us back to different passages of scripture and, uh, and, and through that, helping put some pieces together of, of what I believe is a, a worldview that's needed. Now, at the end of all this, you may have other pieces that could be added, and, and, and that, that's, that's very, very possible. I'm not saying that it's going to be the, the comprehensive uh, uh, approach here with just three, with three messages, but, uh, but I hope that it will give uh, some, some biblical uh, perspective on all of this. Last week was part one, a biblical response to racial prejudice. We saw in our first point that all people are cre created in God's image. We looked at the concept of the imago dei, understanding that we are one human race, looking at Acts 17, looking back at Genesis chapter one, and we see, yes, there are different ethnicities, and unfortunately, because of that, there, there at times are uh, examples of prejudice, but we recognize that each and every person is an image bearer of God. And that, that's an important part of our worldview as we uh, look at what is taking place. Secondly, we saw that God 
clearly condemns prejudice and injustice towards all people. We said last week that there is a human sin nature that seeks to elevate some above others, that seeks to divide, that seeks to, to say a group or a, 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 a class or a, a ethnic uh, people group that, that one is better or superior than another. And we've said, no, that, that's, that's wrong. The Bible has, has clearly instructed us not only on who people are, but how we are to care for one another. We even looked at some Old Testament passages of, of, of how we are to treat people that are from, from uh, other ethnic backgrounds, countries, and so forth, and saw how those principles apply today. We looked at competing uh, philosophies, even some that come out of Marxism, that, that aim, that, that, that strive to put people into groups and classes and distinctions for the purpose of conflict, and that that, that is not part of a bib- biblical worldview. And so we, we made that contrast as well. Third, we saw that the church should lead the way in racial reconciliation, and we looked at the vision of the throne of God. Remember Revelation chapter 7, that, that, that the Lord being worshiped with a group of people that represent every tribe and tongue and nation, just a beautiful picture of the diversity of the bride of Christ. And we said that that should be reflected here on earth as well. We looked at some demographic data and uh, try to seek to understand how can our church better reflect the diversity in our community that this is something that needs to be a priority, it needs to be intentional, and uh, we need to continue to see ways in which that can happen. So again, I'd like to expand that message this morning by adding two more points, and uh, we're still asking the same question. As we look at the fractured world around us, what does the Bible say? How do we seek a biblical worldview? I'm going to think at the beginning of the message here about peaceful protests that have turned at times to rioting and looting and, and ask how do we as believers understand that, uh, uh, that taking place? Does, does God's word speak to this type of lawlessness? Does the Bible have a word on that? And let me give you this as the fourth point. The Bible calls for impartial justice to preserve a community. And I've told my children oftentimes that when we look to God's word, we need to see that God is a creator. Very beginning of the Bible that God has created, but he's also a master architect and designer. And I've, I've encouraged my children to look at the designs that God has made. One example that I give is the institution of marriage. God has created a design. And we, we need to seek to understand it. And the best we can, by, by the Spirit's help, seek to live out the biblical institution of marriage because this is how God has designed it. And he designed it in such a way where, where he would be glorified, where we as his people would, would be blessed by, by living within that design. And so in Scripture, when we find God's design for something, it, it, it behooves us to, to seek to understand it and the best we can to live by it. And we see at the beginning that God had a design for order. We can go all the way back into the book of Genesis, into the garden, and we see that, that, that in some ways it was kind of simplistic, right? Adam and Eve, don't eat the fruit from this tree, right? There was order. 
There was right, there was wrong. It was being established. It's part of God's character in instructing them. We saw throughout, uh, we can see throughout the opening uh, chapters and even books of the Bible that when there is disobedience, there are consequences, massive consequences when we go against the design that God has given. In the next book of Exodus, we saw God call a people to himself, leading them through Moses. And again, with the design of society, he intended for there to be order. And we note that, 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 that God is a lawgiver. And what did he do with Moses on Mount Sinai? He gave a law. He gave the Ten Commandments. He gave instruction on how people were to relate to God, how people were to relate to others. That law was expanded. It was clarified throughout, uh, uh, throughout the Old Testament. And so I, I mention this to say we go back and see as part of a biblical worldview a design that God intends for there to be order, structure, even things such as law. Now we can trace throughout the opening books, uh, throughout the Old Testament, that when the nation of Israel was keeping the law, uh, they, were, they were experiencing the blessing of God. And when they, when they transgressed the law, when they, when they went uh, away from his, his uh, 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 priorities and his, his values, we saw that there was indeed uh, recourse for that as well. We can also see in the Old Testament that there were safeguards to protect people. Uh, you, may, you may think uh, not only of Moses, but thinking of Moses even, even speaking with his father-in-law Jethro and trying to, to structure and organize the people so that people could be cared for, that disputes could be handled fairly. Uh, we know there's a, a book of the Bible called the Judges that speak of, of how these uh, individuals were, were, were applying justice to the nation. We think of Ezekiel speaking of, of people known as the watchman or the watchman on the wall. Well, what was their role? Obviously to, 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 to be on the lookout, to be uh, some of those that were preserving law and order. We could look at the monarchy. Uh, under, under the kings and to see that they had uh, leadership and people under them that provided uh, uh, responsibility as well. You can look even at the, on the religious side of, of priests and, and others who had a unique responsibility for upholding the, the law of God and for maintaining peace. We see that this is a pattern all through the Old Testament that God desired this to happen and he desired it to happen without favoritism or prejudice. That's what we mean when we say impartial justice. And this is based on his character. Deuteronomy 32 describes God in verse four as the rock. His work is perfect. All his ways are just. A faithful God without bias. He is righteous and true. Now just pause for a moment. Aren't we glad that those are words that describe our heavenly father? Isn't that a blessing to know that, that he doesn't have prejudice? That he is not biased? That, that he wants it to be fair and equitable? It's based on his character. Deuteronomy 16, we read in verse 20, pursue justice and justice alone. So let's pause for a minute and ask that question about biblical worldview and ask, what, what can we glean? What can we gain from 
uh, this, particularly as it relates to fairness and equity. Just look at the end of, or the end of uh, this verse 20, justice alone. We saw Leviticus 19, 15 last week. Do not act unjustly when deciding a case. So this is evidently instruction to someone that is to uphold the law. And it says, do not, un- do not act unjustly. Do not be partial to the poor or give preference to the rich. Judge your neighbor fairly. So we see a call for justice, impartial justice. We see a call here in these verses for those who have that as an occupation, as a profession, as a calling to make sure that they are doing this under the authority of God to do it the way he would want it done. Now we could also say by looking at all of this that if a society is not upheld with law and order, that, uh, that the society will begin to break down because from the beginning, this is what was established for society. Just ask yourself, who will protect the innocent? Who will restrain evil if indeed law and order This structure that we've seen, all the way going back to the book of Genesis, if it is not here, what will be the outcome? Again, it's the design of God. Let me give you a New Testament passage. This is in the book of Romans, chapter 13. And uh, it speaks to different elements of a government and uh, and the responsibility of uh, a government for its people and for the responsibility of people towards its government. And so look at verse one with me. It says, let everyone submit to the governing authorities since there is no authority except from God. Again, just stop. Is there some biblical worldview there as we look at at leaders, as we look at authority to see that it is is not an an authority unless it is obviously something that comes from God. The authorities that exist are instituted by God. Verse two, so then the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command. And those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the one in authority? Do what is good and you will have its approval. For it is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid because it does not carry the sword for no reason. For it is God's servant. An avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Verse 5, therefore, you must submit not only because of wrath, but also because of your conscience. And for this reason, you pay taxes. Since the authorities are God's servants, continually attending to these tasks. Pay your obligations to everyone. Taxes to those you owe taxes, tolls to those you owe tolls, respect to those you owe respect, and honor to those you owe honor. So just let Romans 13 be a piece of what is factored into our understanding of what is taking place right now in the world around us. And and look at the description that is given of governing authorities. It's stated twice. Do you see that little phrase? God's, what does it say? Servants. I can almost hear that from under the masks. God's servants, right? And and that may be a a new perspective for some of us today to see those in in governing authority, those keeping the law, 
as God's servants. But I ask you, going all the way back through what we've just looked at, do we see the, the, the continuation of God's design? He wants a society, a community, a nation to be governed. Yes, with justice, impartial justice, but nonetheless, we see that there are those who are responsible for maintaining it. I would like to encourage us as a church family to think and to speak carefully about those whom God calls his servants. There's a call here for us to give them respect and honor. Look at verse 7. Those are the words that are used, respect and honor. A Los Angeles police detective uh, who happens to lead also an apologetics ministry. You may have heard the name J. Warner Wallace. His ministry is called Cold Case Christianity, and many of us heard him speak in person uh, when he was here a few years ago in Ellisville. And uh, uh, he is a, uh, a former police officer and de uh, detective, homicide detective. And so by being uh, in the apologetics ministry and also having a law enforcement background, he has a unique perspective. Let me share with you a couple of quotes from him. He says this, law enforcement is indispensable and uniquely necessary. It's foundational to the communities it serves. Without law enforcement, no other profession can exist and thrive. Think about that. How could anybody else do their job amongst lawlessness and chaos? We need, we need this. This is his point. Just think about how foundational these positions are for the good of a community, the good of a society, the good of a nation. Yet somehow we live in a day where many of our police officers and first responders are not being honored and respected. They're being disrespected. And I want us to, I want us to stop and think about that. And I, I'm not trying to make this political. I hope everyone here knows my heart better than that. But when I am seeing things take place and hearing the way things are happening, and I look at it in light of this passage, it gives me, it gives me instruction on how I should respond and care for those in these positions. We want to have a consistent worldview, consistent with the Bible. I've been, as I said, over the last couple of months looking for a lot of different resources. I've read a lot. I've participated in, in a lot of dialogue. In fact, I was invited to a, to a group that was doing an online Zoom for religious leaders. It was a religious-based group, and so I thought I would, I, would, I, would, I would be a part of it, logged in one evening, and uh, listened, gained perspective, and uh, afterwards went to this, uh, this entity's website, and they were, they were promoting the idea of hashtag defund the police. I just tell you, it just was a check in my spirit because I'm looking at things based on Romans 13. Needless to say, that, that was the last interaction that I had with that group. I, 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 can't, I can't be affiliated or associated with that because of Romans 13. Now, I know that some who are listening to me right now are saying, yeah, but wait a minute, Pastor, what about, what about, what about? What about Derek Chauvin? What about these examples where, where someone in Authority, someone as a, uh, that's been held up to, to enforce and uphold the law where they, have, uh, uh, where they have done something so heinous such as he did by, by committing a murder. Well, I believe they should be punished. 
I believe they should, they should be upheld against the law that they themselves took an oath to uphold. They've abused their positions and they should be held fully responsible and accountable. Leviticus 19 speaks here on the duties that, have been, that, are, that, that these individuals have are to be discharged with impartial justice. And so I fully believe that when we see situations like that, that again, as part of the biblical worldview, they should be handled immediately. J. Warner Wallace also speaks to this. He says, if a society expects to be righteous and moral, it all begins with and is predicated on the righteous morality of its gatekeepers and first responders. When law enforcement fails to measure up ethically, we are all shocked and dismayed. We have no patience for such failings because we intuitively understand the essential importance of those who keep order, protect the innocent, and restrain evil. You hear what he's saying? He's saying, look, when, when we see this, even as, as an officer of the law, we have no patience for such failings. And I, to some degree, can understand. I can understand what an officer of the law is going through. Let me give an example. There have been seasons in our history where clergy have been exposed for wrongdoing. Sometimes it's financial mismanagement. Sometimes it's sexual immorality. And unfortunately, there have even been situations of abuse of women and children. Now, I know I'm opening up a sensitive subject here, but I'm, I'm telling you that a couple of years ago, there was a major study that was done on ministers in the Southern Baptist Convention. And you can see it was a multiple-part study. It was, it was done, conducted by the Houston Chronicle. It's called Abuse of Faith, and it, it, it opened up and shed light on abuse that was done by, by members of the clergy and deacons and church leaders. And I read every word of every article. And I know some of the people personally that are in prison right now for what they've done. Now just think about that. This group, this subset of individuals, they, they represent abuse. They represent those who have been disqualified. And make no mistake about it, they deserve, as I said earlier, to be upheld to the law. But does that mean that all clergy members are guilty? Does that mean that they all have participated in this? I, I could give the same example with, with those who are, who are teachers. We love teachers. We know that they, 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 they uphold the, the, uh, the, the education for, for, for young people among us, but many of, the, of, of these young people are vulnerable. And we've seen situations where teachers and coaches have not discharged their duties faithfully or lawfully. Okay, so I, I give the example of teachers and clergy and law enforcement officers because we expect them, don't we? We rightfully expect them to uphold uh, our trust, to uphold uh, uh, morality and conviction. And so, yes, when, when these fail us and fail our society, it is troubling and it is upsetting and it should be dealt with. Whether it's an officer, whether it's clergy, 
whether it's a teacher. And we, again, we could go on and on with examples, couldn't we? But my point is, when we think about police officers, we need to know that there are many, most, who recognize their call and have been sincere with the oath that they've been given. And it's wrong for us to put an entire group into one category based upon the actions of a few. Again, turning to Romans 13, they're referenced as God's servant, God's servants. And if they disqualify themselves, then, uh, then they should be punished for wrongdoing, just like anyone else. None of us are above the law. God's word makes that clear. There needs to be policies. There needs to be accountability that ensure impartial justice. And I would say that some of this reform is long overdue. But, we, but just because we see examples of injustice doesn't mean to abandon it altogether. I read an article that Kirby Anderson of Probe Ministries wrote. He actually wrote this about government in general, but I'd like to share it with you because I think it speaks to what we're looking at today. He said, although governments may be guilty of an injustice, Christians should not stop working for justice or cease to be concerned about human rights. We do not give up on marriage as an institution simply because there are so many divorces and we do not give up on the church because of many internal problems. Each God-ordained institution manifests human sinfulness and disobedience. Our responsibility as Christians is to call political leaders back to this God-ordained task. So there's the perspective that we don't give up. We don't abandon. We, we lean in and we seek to be agents Agents of change, when that's necessary. Agents of accountability, when that's necessary. And I just want to say from a personal level that I have had the privilege, uh, maybe a distinct privilege, to know throughout the years many people who have served in the law enforcement community, who have served as first responders, who have served on the front lines and... uh, I'm not going to give names because I know that I'm, that I'm online. And I don't want to put anybody in, in jeopardy. But I just want you to know, I know a number of them who are God-fearing individuals who take their oath seriously, who in, in many cases believe it's God's call upon their life to serve their community, to serve the world around them to be these Romans 13 servants that we just read about. Some of them are members of our church, and we know their hearts. In fact, one of the members of our church right now, I believe, is in police academy, following the call of God on his life. And I know this young man. I know we, we as a community should be honored that he would be willing to follow a call such as this. These individuals put their lives in harm's way each and every day. Why? To protect the innocent, to restrain evil, to serve the community. And today they are experiencing an onslaught of abuse, both in the media and on the streets. And I, for one, think that we as the people of God should be concerned about that. And I think we need to look to God's word to ask us, how, how, do we, how do we find understanding? 
Now again, I know it's a big topic and I've only touched on a little bit of it. Let me share one recent account written by the wife of a police officer, St. Louis County. Here's what she writes. Speaking of a recent event when her, what her husband experienced, she said was horrific. He led two teams of officers. He and his men took 30 rounds of direct gunfire here in St. Louis County. He could hear the bullets whizzing past his helmet. She writes, it's a miracle he's alive. His police car took heavy damage. Windows were busted out. The hood was destroyed. Bricks, rocks, fireworks, frozen water bottles, and even urine-filled bottles were thrown at them. She writes, the cruelest part was the things the people shouted, such as, tonight, you are going to die and your family will suffer forever. She says, my family watched live TV of the riot, trying to find him, trying to make sure he was okay. We waited for hours to finally receive a call at 3 a.m. that he was safe. She said, his story was not reported on the news. It didn't make it into a social media post. She said, law enforcement were heroes less than a month ago when they were out fighting COVID. Look at things now. How's that for perspective? How's that for perspective? Some of you all here know who that person is. Now, I'm, again, where I'm on, I'm on, I'm on YouTube. I'm not giving any names out. But some of you all know this individual. I've heard some say, well, now isn't the time for statistics. And I understand that perspective. That when someone is hurting, someone is grieving, that the perspective is empathy. The perspective is coming alongside and listening. That's how I'm gonna, I'm gonna change to that topic here in just a minute. But when I showed you the picture of the clergy, they represent many people who have been abused, real abuse. And uh, I've, I've read their, their situations, their stories, their accounts. None of it can be tolerated. We need to, to empathize. Whether it's the clergy or the police officers, officers though, we do need to keep a perspective of, of what is really happening. I, I would hope that if there were narratives against the clergy right now, that there would be some people that would be concerned for those who have not been abusers. And I believe right now that in many ways, we as a church family need to make sure that we have a proper perspective on the magnitude of police injustice. You can read the details. Now, I know we can, we can read little statements and we can read little, little uh, signs, but I mean, read articles, read books, read studies. Look at the research in detail because if this is something that is, that is, that is such a boiling point, we, we, we need to make sure we understand what the facts are. And I can tell you, there's, there are some voices out there that are not being accurate right now. I've read a number of accounts some highly cited articles. Even, even one from the Wall Street Journal gives statistics to help understand the truth. Now, I'm not trying to pit a group against another. As I said a minute ago, I'm not making this political. But what I am doing is saying, let's look at what the scriptures teach us as Bible-believing Christians when it comes to impartial justice 
There are, te- there are te- takeaways for the, for the officers, for first responders, from God's word on how they should conduct themselves. There are takeaways on, on, on what to do with those who don't conduct themselves right. But there are also takeaways for us as citizens to honor and respect. And I, for one, want to encourage that at this time. Here's my final point for the day. It's my second point, but really it's my fifth point, right? If you think about the message. God's people, they should be known for humility and empathy. And I, I intentionally put these two points together because I don't want to be misunderstood on, on the last point. And I want to make sure that our tone, our perspective, our attitude is Christ-like, is humble, is empathetic. I've addressed a call for impartial justice, impartial treatment to all people, And I've also said last week, and I'll say it again this week, that we know that we live in a society that does indeed have racial prejudice. We can find examples of that. And as we said last week, it is a sin. Should not be tolerated, should not be overlooked. When we see people who have been victims of prejudice and discrimination, we should have a genuine posture of humility and empathy. So I'm going to close by giving four steps that I think can help us in that. Four steps towards humility and empathy. The first one is this, to care. To care. What we hear going on around us, we we should care about. When we hear someone's personal experience of what they have been through, it should be something that resonates with us, that that we genuinely care about their experience. Again, there's no denying that people in our nation have suffered and are suffering from various forms of prejudice. Um, I received a letter in the mail this week that gave some some personal examples of, of, uh, of this church member having some friends that even that even experienced prejudice within the church. And when she wrote this to me, she said, you know, it's examples of pride and self righteousness as well as prejudice, right? I mean, these are all sins. She, she, she gave examples of these churches, and she said, she said they, were, they were adamant that they followed correct doctrine. They considered themselves and fellow Christians as moral, upright people. She said another sin is moral superiority. It's easy to fall into. And so I, I won't read the examples that she gave, but she, she gave some. I heard one also that that really got me. Um, I listened to, to a lot of different podcasts and, and I was listening to one of secular podcast news related and uh, uh, talking about a lady's experience in New York City. Uh, her parents immigrated from Korea and uh, her mom owned a small business, owns a small business. If I remember the, the account right, she's a seamstress and has a little business. She was leaving her mom's business and someone saw this young lady born in America, Korean descent and began screaming at her. Why? Because this individual thought she was to blame for COVID-19. I just stopped for a minute. Does that not just make your blood boil? She had nothing to do with that. Nothing to do with any of that. But yet that's, that's what she was receiving. It was prejudice based on her skin color, what she looked like. Just made my blood boil. What a reminder that these things, yes, they still happen. Should we care about it? Absolutely. Absolutely we should care. 
And so that's, that's what I'm, I'm beginning with here. It's to understand that we care for the person. We care about their experience. The second is to listen. And along with listening, we are to learn. I think in times like these, we should strive to be, as James says, quick to listen. James 1.19, my dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. It's a good word for us right now because there's a lot of temptations out there to, uh, uh, to be angry. Instead, let us follow this. Let's listen. Let's learn. As I said last week, there are a number of factors that are causing the social unrest. I know the justice system is being highlighted, but there are other contributing factors that, that, that we know are there as well. Some of them are, are, are related to things such as economic difficulties, even in terms of generation to generation. We can look back and see lack of opportunity in previous generations, which directly affects what people have today from generation to generation. We can look at educational difficulties, housing. Uh, there are uh, issues in some parts of the country, even with safe drinking water. So, I mean, there, there's, a, there's a lot of frustrations that at times bubble up. And one of them is, is even the family of America today. And the, 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 the issue that we're seeing with, with broken families. So, so there's so much that, that we can learn when we hear the experiences that others have had. And, uh, and we need to, to care, we need to listen, we need to learn. I've been quoting Mark Vrogop over the last couple of, of weeks. He's a pastor and author. And uh, in fact, uh, the, this last part of the sermon, I based off of a list that he put together. And he says this, too often the tone of the conversation is marked by closed minds, hasty words, and angry attitudes. However, if we can commit to a posture of listening without speaking quickly or getting angry, irritated, or frustrated, there's hope for progress. So again, wise counsel for us leads to the third step. After we care, after we listen and learn, the next one is to lament. And this is practically applying empathy to prayer. And as we talk about what lament is, we can, we can see that it, it relates to where we are right now as a community and as a nation. But lament can be applied into a lot of other spheres as well, even on a personal level, experiencing loss, experiencing broken excuse me, brokenness, and so forth. Listen to what he says. A lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. Laments are more than merely the expression of sorrow. The goal of a lament is to recommit oneself to hoping in God, believing his promises, and a godly response to pain, suffering, and injustice. Lament is the historic biblical prayer language of Christians in pain. It's the voice of God's people while living in a broken world. Laments acknowledge the reality of pain while trusting in God's promises. Interesting, isn't it? Do you see how that, that can be a word for us today? Seeing the brokenness of the world around us and do we not long for healing? Do we not long for healing, the healing of our land? Well, 
I realize that we can only repent for our individual sins, but we can lament for the effects of sin on the world around us. And finally, number four, influence change. I mentioned last week that us, we as a church, should intentionally be seeking to reflect the diversity of our community. That's something that looking at the next season of ministry can and should be a priority for us. I even received an email from, from someone this last week that outlined a number of different ideas, even thinking through ways that we could potentially partner with other churches in our area towards this end. Let me also mention to practice intentional hospitality towards those in our community. Thinking of those that we might be able to invite into our home, build relationships with, get to know them, befriend them. I remember I heard this a couple of years ago, the account of uh, some who, uh, someone who was involved in collegiate ministry, stating that there was a group of students that had come from Asia to attend university in St. Louis. I think it was WashU. And they, they, they came to the States to study. They were excited about being in America and the opportunities to, to be in an American university. They knew they'd make friends. They knew they'd be invited into the homes of American families. And they, their, their families, which is definitely part of the culture in East Asia, was to, to send them with gifts from their country. So that when they were invited into an American's home, they, they could give a gift Something of speaking to friendship, right? Well, here's how that story ends, because four years later when those students graduated and they were heading back home, do you know what they packed up with them? Take a guess. Yeah, they're gifts. They hadn't been invited to an American home. They'd not been inside. They'd not been befriended. They'd not had that opportunity to give a gift. And when I, when I heard that, I just thought, oh, man, that just, I don't know what that does to you, but it, just, it really hit me. And I thought, how often am I missing those opportunities right around me? So let me just ask, what does that look like in your workplace? What does that look like in your school? What does that look like in your neighborhood? What might that look like for our church family? Let's see these opportunities. Those are four steps. I'm sure there's a whole lot more that could be said, but I just emphasize once again that we are to set the example in terms of empathy, humility, and all that that entails. Well, there'll be one more message, Lord willing, that I plan to give next week under the topic, Hope for a Fractured World. And I uh, appreciate uh, uh, your prayers as we continue uh, to seek uh, the Lord together, seek understanding, and to seek how we can be salt and light in a world right now that is truly in desperation. But church family, do we, do we have a source of hope? Do we have a source of strength? Do we have a source of truth? Well, if so, if so, let it motivate us for such a time as this. Would you pray with me? Our great God and heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather. We can gather together. We can gather virtually to worship you to look to your word and to be reminded of the truth that is found there. God, I pray that you will bring healing to our land. And I pray that that healing won't come from a political party, that it won't come from, from some bright idea, but that it will come from on high. 
that it will come from a God who is a reconciler and through a church of people who intend to be agents and ministers of reconciliation to a broken world that longs for, for hope and healing. They don't at times even know who to look to. God, may your light shine forth. May your church rise up. May your people exemplify your character, your love, your concern, and your truth. God, help us. Help us, Lord, to lament. Help us to confess. Help us to repent. That we not gloss over, seek to run past too quickly the difficulties that surround us. So with that in mind, Father, we offer this to you, asking for your guidance, for your wisdom, for your blessing. Thank you, Lord, for a time of worship today. May you continue to apply your word and do your work among us now. For it's in Christ's name we pray. And all of God's people say, amen.